I think at the end, the emotional side, which can be part trend, but it can be just part of a good color harmony and a good color match from one material to the other makes it then requirement on having the technical on the back. Hello everyone, how are you? Welcome back to our podcast Partners in Time, the podcast where we explore the world around IWC, its watches and partnerships and we are now in the middle of our Colors of Top Gun launch. Just been to Watches and Wonders, launched a beautiful collection of colored ceramic zirconium oxide pieces in the Pilot's Top Gun collection. And of course, in that context, we had a very, very important partnership. And that was our partnership with the global reference of color design research benchmarking, which is Pantone. And I'm absolutely thrilled and excited to have with me today, Carola Seibold from Pantone. You have a job title that's probably longer than what fits into the uh, frame of this podcast, but you're the global tea leader of the tea key account management for yes. Pantone, something like that. But Carola, a very warm welcome to IWC. How are you? Thank you very much for having me today. So I'm super well. I have a sunny trip to Schaffhausen, which is great. Um, and I really admire your building. I think it's done in such an aesthetic, cool way. Also with the color combination, I find a lot of beige and gray shades, which I like a lot. Mm. And I think uh, this is already worth worth to come here. And of course, to have, of course, today the talk with you. Well, thank you. Well, this is normally the point where I would ask you, whereabouts in the world are you? But you've given it away. You're actually here <laughs> with me inside the podcast box. So it's an absolute joy because we've done most of these, obviously, on Zoom uh, or, or Teams or anything else like that over the last couple of years. So it's uh, very, very special to actually have a face-to-face -face conversation. And I hope that you, our dear listeners, are going to enjoy our talk today. Um, so, Carola, first things first, we always have to do a wrist check. What are you wearing on your wrist today and why? So the story is that my husband is a big IWC lover. We mm. have a big IWC watch in our kitchen, which is really huge. And he also have collected watches over a long time. Yeah. Now he flipped to whiskeys, unfortunately, yeah. but still he was a big uh, watch fan. And when we celebrate our 10th uh, wedding anniversary, he want to buy me a nice watch because yeah. I don't wear too much jewelry, as you can mm. see. But I also like to have something which remind me to a good time and something nice on my wrist. So, and he would, would like to buy me an IWC watch. But at that time, the thing was that the, the ladies' watches are a little bit more, let's say, classical mm, styled. Yeah. And the man's was a little bit big for, I have a very small wrist here. So, therefore, unfortunately, we have gone for another watch brand, which is not his preferred one, not my preferred one. Uh, I will not show it to you now. <laughs> it's a very interesting color in the dial, huh? Yeah. And, You're only uh, giving me sort of half a glimpse yeah. here, but it's a very so, nice style. But nevertheless... Just to let you know, the, his first choice would be to buy me an IWC well, and then based on this... Uh, thank you. It's good to know that obviously we will be covering that segment of the market yeah, very, yeah. very soon. Yeah. And it's also part of the journey we're working on together. So I'm yeah. very, maybe we'll see each other again in a year's time or a year and yeah, a half Yeah, and I here. have the 25th uh, um, wedding anniversary soon. So maybe then oh it's gosh. a good occasion. 25th wedding anniversary? No, not yet. Not yet. I said soon, but we need to develop the project. So, and you know, we need some time to develop well, it together. Congratulations on... It's, it's just 20 this year, but it's already... Wow. Yeah. That's, 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 that's already know, something you have to... to year to, number 14, 13, 14... Oh, God, that's probably the moment my wife will shoot Yeah, yeah, exactly. You should know that. Something like that. <laughs> 14th, actually. Yeah. I just did a quick calculation. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, well done for that. But let's talk a little bit about history because I think I was... Um, 
interested to learn that you have a you more or less like a full-grown fashion background. I mean, you yes. have your economics degree, but then you went on to really, really work sort of the German and beyond fashion scene. Tell us a little bit about the journey into Pantone and, yeah. and what your passion and background is. Yeah, so my passion was all the time going into the fashion industry. But, yeah. you know, I have a father who is very traditional minded. And he said, no, if you do a study in fashion, you will end up as a taxi driver. Don't do it. So study, please, something meaningful. And so, yeah, 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 I had a very strict father and he's by the way living also in Switzerland and he's still very healthy and very good. So, but uh, now I decided then to... Not driving a taxi, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I decided to go for uh, economics. Mm. But like the Cinderella story, I was working at that time as an intern in one of the luxury department stores um, groups in, in Germany. And I was in the men's department and uh, one of the chief design officers come around and want to buy a jacket. And I helped him and he asked me, what do you do here? And what do you do for a living in future? And I said, oh, I would love to go to the fashion industry. And I said, okay, bring your CV in and you have a job. So I got this job as a chief purchasing wow. officer, which was at that time really like the Cinderella story. Oh, straight to sea level, boom. Yeah, it was like, yeah. wow, yeah, yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> And, and it was a time, to be honest, where you not have all the processes we have today. Yeah. It was really 25 years ago where you really travel to Hong Kong, to Los Angeles, to New York. You just purchase something. Not just something. You have to have a good taste and a good mm. feeling for also for colors already at that time. But it was not process-driven like we are all, all working today. You didn't have to um, fill in an SAP Ex purchase order form Absolutely before you could not. speak to somebody. There in was no internet. There was no email. You have telefax at that time. So it was really the old story. You checked into the Mandarin Oriental and the gentleman or the lady behind the desk and we have a message for you and pulled out an envelope. Exactly. Which was like exactly, a, a text yeah, message exactly, from home. Yeah, so exactly, you check in when yeah. you get to Hong Kong. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 today or tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a little bit this, this world, which was also good world and it was already driven really also by color importance because if you do something wrong in color that time already yeah. you could not sell it so and this journey starts there and then i stay there for 10 12 years in the fashion industry and then i moved to be uh in the international consulting company for a while and then i was hired by Penton. and to be honest then color really starts mm. because i think uh if you start with Penton, you understand more the importance of color and the fascinating of color and it's still my dream job, I have to say, and it's not only because I'm the podcast here today, I say this to every headhunter, to every boss who's starting you said, <laughs> don't put me away, it's still my dream job. And I think because, yeah, it's color is have so much varieties from emotional sides to technical sides. And yeah, this makes the beauty of the job still. No, it's a, it's a great story. And uh, I relate to that story a lot because um, I think we both uh, have a little bit of anchoring in that same sort of fashion scene. For me, it was the other way around. I actually, my... Passion was always design, and my first inkling was always fashion design back in the day. You know, I did okay. So you also have a fashion background then, or no architecture? Nearly. You yeah, have yeah exactly. But mm. it would have been fashion almost. Okay. And basically, at the time, I was the other way around because I was concerned that design was not going to be a serious career. So okay. I asked my mum. Actually, I said, "What is a decent kind of?" job where you can make a good living and have time for your passions and okay i don't know why she said you have to be a pharmacist because at the time you'd really see, you know, these people in germany they're working decent and you amount have of studied money. pharmacy then no no neither. Oh, so I, nearly, I, okay. I did um basically the whole uh, uh prep to uh study uh, natural sciences in in cambridge and um went to do the interviews and all the rest of it and i even worked most of my um uh, sort of teenage years uh on a saturday in the pharmacy oh, uh, really? where i came from it should have been a sign, really, because they put me very quickly onto the window decoration and away from, <laughs> from stacking <laughs> pills and medicines. So that was already a sign. Yeah. And then 
my um, teenage girlfriend's dad at the time um, worked for the well, what was he? owner, I think, of of the uh, German fashion brand Otto Kern. Mm-hmm. And then the Häuser der Mode in mm-hmm. Eschborn mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was actually the one who said to me, because I was always thinking, okay, I'm going to be a pharmacist, and then I use the night shift to actually do more my design work mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, okay. I love it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, look, you're, you're being silly, because if that's your dream and that's mm-hmm. your passion, follow it, do mm-hmm. it. And that's when last minute I sort of ripped my uh, life around, as it were, and just okay. um, turned it all and, and actually started to go to Central St. Martin's for the foundation degree and started to look into fashion design. And in the end, I just didn't love the atmosphere in the studios. And that's how I bumped into the interior design studio. And that's how I ended up in okay. design. But it would and have very today nearly... you're here. But this is really a totally different job now, what you're doing now. Or is it numbers, it's... numbers and numbers? <laughs> It if is. It, if it was numbers, I wouldn't be here. No, no, no it, Of course, it's also numbers. <laughs> but I always think, you know, as I often say, at the end of the day, when you're selling and making an emotional product, um, first of all, you're a manufacturing company here. So it's very much involved really about the engineering design production mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of, of product. And secondly, you're making an emotional product. So I think at the end of the day, what our clients first and foremost react to are aesthetics. You know, it's, yeah. it's about a brand. It's about mm-hmm. a product. It's how mm-hmm. it speaks to you. And after mm-hmm. that, you start thinking technology and sustainability and mm-hmm. making and craftsmanship and uh, performance and mm-hmm. all of these things. But primarily, I think luxury brands are an emotional Absolutely. emotional response in yeah. people. And that's why I think the decision making that is involved in in being in charge of a luxury brand is not far away from actually a designer's mm-hmm. job in that sense. Mm-hmm. But good question. No, it's not just numbers, luckily. Yeah, <laughs> because I expect in your job you have a lot of, yeah, for sure, you have also a lot of numbers. To we control. also have a lot of numbers. Yeah. yeah. We also have very clever people who can look after <laughs> yeah, those that, numbers. Yeah, that, that, that's a good. That's a good thing. <laughs> that's, if you're in that level already, you have the people who prepare the numbers. You only have to read the numbers and interpret it in the right way. Interpret the numbers yeah, the right yeah, way. I yeah. think that's, that's that's the key to it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Pantone, um, because I'm just assuming that some of our listeners are not fully familiar with what Pantone is and mm-hmm. what Pantone does. Give us a rough overlook, the overview over uh, Pantone's role. Okay, Pantone is really a very long-term in the market being company. It's founded in the 1963 already. Uh, it was a family-owned company at the beginning, and it was coming alive because the former owner uh, started to think about an international language for print houses because he was struggling in that way. And so pa- Pantone Formula Guide, which is still in the market, which, by the way, I saw today on the table of your design team too, uh, is there, of course, in an updated version. And then step by step, the company grow into other markets because, uh, as you can imagine, the colors for print industry are different needs like color for interior, which you just mentioned, or the mm. fashion industry. So we invented then in the 80s the fashion material system. And we invented the Pantone Color Institute, which is this part of the company who do all the consultancy parts in color psychology, in trend forecasting. And um, and then step by step, we invented other things. We have, for example, a skin tone guide where you can measure your skin. Mm. And uh, this is very important for everybody who do prothesis or in the um, uh, cosmetic industry, yeah. some people like that. So nowadays, I think Pantone is really the global authority of color. It sounds a little bit arrogant, but I think we are. And um, all the people love us. We do we do really a lot of digital thing. This is really coming not through Corona only, but get really pushed through Corona mm. that the world understand we need to go digital. So digital means not only in design, it means also in communication with the supply chain. Uh, so this is a big part. So we launch a new app, for example, where you can do digital mood boards, for example, mm. which you still do today manually on a wall. But think about people sitting in hybrid solution for the future. Some people sit at home. They need to exchange change it 
also, of course, digitally, all these things with right color values, uh, with right photos. You can scroll over photos, pull out colors, get a Pantone reference tool. So all this digital thing. And then, of course, we have the licensing part. Uh, so the good thing is, uh, like you described before, IWC has a very high aesthetic uh, uh, approach to the market. We have it too. And um, we have a lot of licensee partners for end consumer business. You know, the coffee mugs, socks, hotels, bicycles. And to be honest, I'm sure a lot of end consumers just buy it because they like how the color comes up and mm. how the aesthetic looks like. They maybe even don't know that we normally start with selling color guides in the B2B side. So this one is very important. And then, of course, not to forget the Pantone Color Institute, which is really growing in the last years especially, and you mentioned this emotional part of luxury brands. And I think, to be honest, in these worlds where we have not only corona pandemic, we have now Ukraine war, we have a lot of uncertainties coming up, which people get more emotional in every aspect mm. of the world. So we see a need of communicating with brands together messages through color, because this is the easy way to do emotional messages. So this is what Panton is doing globally. Uh, we have uh, uh, people everywhere in the world, color technical people, but also color creative people. Yeah, and this is mainly what is our what we see our role, helping people in color. It doesn't matter which industry. Uh, that's excellent. And obviously, it's been an absolute joy to be collaborating on the Colors of Top Gun together. And maybe I'll just tell our listeners, <laughs> listeners a little bit where the background story sits for this collaboration. Because mm -hmm. when we did the first colored ceramic watch in IWC since 1986, which was the one, um, the Mojave Desert chronograph we did in 2019. We were really inspired by both the desert landscape of where our colleagues in the US Navy are practicing, but also their flight suits, their harnesses, mm -hmm. their technical equipment. And I really saw that um, there was this whole monochromatic thing going on where everything was going to sound colored, but there were tons of different materials and textures. And I really wanted to capture that look in a watch. And that was really the the idea behind the, the Mojave Desert. But then when we started making this watch, we realized how complicated it was for us to color match all those different materials and components to the same standard. There's a dial printing process involved that is on a metal base that has different processes of applying colors and ultimately printing. There is a superluminova involved, which is a hand-applied luminous material, which needs to be applied to the hands and indexes and so on. Then you have the FKM rubber in the base material of the strap. You have a textile, you have stitching thread, you have colored ceramics case, and all those things you want to be the same perfect monochromatic look in the end, and then finding out that all these different manufacturing technologies work to very, very different color standards or not, sometimes <laughs> as the case may be. So it becomes a highly iterative and highly manual process to actually find the perfect color match. And that's when we realized, okay, if we expand this idea of colored ceramics at IWC, we have to find a better way to aligning color matching from these different processes and income Pantone. And then tell us a little bit about your motivation for this collaboration and how it came about and, and how we work together. Yeah, I think uh, the motivation really comes from, and maybe I won't need to go one step back. As you can imagine, we get a lot of inquiries weekly where people ask us, can we do a collaboration together? Especially if, if it should go out into press and social media and something like that. And not all the projects we say yes to because it has to fit also to our DNA of the brand. Because I think Pandon at the end is not a marketing agency. It's mm. its uh, own brand for color. And we only want to do projects which we see a meaningful uh, result coming up. Mm. So I think if we see our two companies, uh, I think we have on one side both a very uh, high focus on quality. 
which is on your side and which is also on our side. If you deliver something in the color standards, which you just described the, the challenges, but we deliver color standards, then we have a high quality aspect on these color standards. And I think you have the same in watches. And then if you see also the market approach from the marketing side, I think both our companies are very pure, straight, no, no flourishing around that. And I think therefore we saw a natural fit to come together and we was convinced from the very beginning and also I can speak here on behalf of our Vice President Lloyd Pressman that we was convinced from the beginning that this fit will work perfectly together. Mm. So, and, and this was really the motivation to say, let, let's go together and let's build up on the things you have already in your mind and to really figure out what is in your mind, what is on your mood boards and how we can really reference this to a Pantone color to make it then with all the emotional thing behind that uh, and all the, the, the technical things also behind mm. that. So I think that was a little bit what, what we said, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think the result is hopefully there, as we can see. So I think at least we saw a very big response on everything we post. And uh, so, yeah, it pays out at the end. Yeah, it's true. And for us, it was really, you know, being the engineer in fine watchmaking, we always look for that technical engineering approach to things. You know, we are always a, a problem-solving watch company that is making technical, functional things that fulfill a purpose, that are robust, that are easy to use, but at the same time, conceptually and technically ingenious. And I think when... My team came to me first time and said, look, actually going into these colored ceramics, what we should be doing is really basing this on the Pantone collaboration, also in terms of its campaign. Um, I knew immediately that was the right way to go because it has that technical precision, that engineering. It's, no, it's not just color for just the fascination of color's sake. There is a there is um, accuracy in that that I really thought resonated with our brand. And describe to us a little bit, obviously, especially you, you being so familiar with the world of fashion, um, how do these two worlds interact? On the one hand, the very, very technically precise world of color engineering. You say you probably have a huge backbone of technicians, color engineers, people who make this all happen. And on the other hand, that that feeling side of things, which is probably not technical at all, to really feel out what the color trends are, the developments are, and how do we get to the next it color? Yeah, I think how it fits together is really a discussion I have very often with my husband, to be honest, because he said, why is it so important that colors are accurate? Because he is just the emotional buyer. doesn't matter if it's fashion or anything else. He buys because he likes something or he dislikes something, then he don't buy it. So, But the thing is really what we should understand, we only like something if we have a good feeling with it. And a good feeling can come up either if we like a color harmony or we think it's the right aesthetic for a trend, which we saw everywhere around us. Mm. Or we think, especially in a luxury brand, we see it uh, that you have to have your core colors accurately because if this is not the case, people think there's something wrong. It's by the subconsciousness. It's not we think something is wrong, but we can see something which we don't think it's fitting well. And then we think it's not really this valuable brand anymore. So I think at the end, the emotional side, which can be part trend, but it can be just part of a good color harmony and a good color match from one material to the other makes it then requirement on having the technical on the back because without the technical aspect on the back you will never have a good uh, let's say color match in all the different colors and people don't feel well and emotion is not there mm. how how is a a major trend color born where does that really happen is it really is it in runway shows in fashion where that first pops up who's the, who are the first people in the chain who do color who trends actually set the trends where, where does it typically happen 
Um, let's say that I maybe can explain it a little bit in color of the year, what mm. we do every year, because uh, even if we consider color of the year not a trend color, to be honest, we call it a zeitgeist color. Mm. Um, but how this comes up is real that we have an expert team who really combed the world. So it's not like a crystal ball. Somebody is looking in and said, mm, I can see that and that. So you really need to see what's going on in our world political thing, economical things, uh, all the things with sustainability, for example, have a big impact. All the things which about metaverse and all the digital world have a super big impact. Then influencers, then other uh, celebrate um, VIP people who wear something. New materials have a big impact on trends. And uh, so all these melting together, let's say that, with the people who have the expert knowledge like you describe if the numbers, somebody prepare the numbers, but you have to read it in the right way. Somebody prepare the information, but somebody have to pull out the right information from this info, from this uh, first line information and then select the color trends. So all these factors, it could be big sports events, for example, in the year where the Olympics was in London, we saw also that some colors which are more on the sports sites come up. So and all these things are big film uh, movies sometimes like Avatar, for example where you see a lot of blue, blue, blue colors. Mm. So all these things influence trends at the end. So, and we discussed it at lunch, Christian and me, about um, is there really a global trend or could there be different trend forecasting companies do different things? And I have done a lot of speeches together with other trend forecasting people. And of course, before we go on stage, we align and check if we do it in the same way in that we give controversial information to the uh, audience. And very often, even if they have done their job independent from us, of course, from our trend forecasting team, we end up at the end with the same, let's say, core themes. Mm. And this is really influenced by macro trends, and then you go down. So by, by I would say, by different levels. Well, somebody must start all of this who's not looking at other trends because <laughs> yeah, yeah, somehow, no, no. somehow they, it must start yeah, yeah, somewhere. Yeah, 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 you're right. It's, it, and it's not like, of course, you have a lot of trends, a, a lot of trends born very late, let's say that. Uh, I talk about this iconic pink color, which we have done. Mm. This was a trend was started in the luxury industry and now copied multiple times by the fast fashion markets around yeah. the world. So this is easy mm. to see a trend coming from this top level going to all the others. But the other trends really, and you see that, for example, think about two topics, sustainability and metaverse. Metaverse, digital world, everything is bluish, lilac. It's a different kind of colors which you see on your screen and especially in this metaverse surrounding. In comparison to sustainability, where a lot of colors can be not achieved because some sustainable materials don't transport don't these colors or the away. pigments are not yeah. available. Uh, so this is a totally different color story which comes up from this corner. So at the end, these are just two things which we have in our latest trend report for spring, summer 23, that we see these two major influences coming in and have to be expressed in color palettes at the end. And uh, if I would have my laptop with you, I could show you that you see really these two directions. And then we develop within these macro trends, some, uh, of course, uh, trend palettes. Mm. In our industry, it's a lot longer cycle. Our products are designed to last mm -hmm. forever. So in a sense, what we always have to be very cautious of is making things in colors that have a very short uh, relevance in terms of its yeah. time. And what I observed in the 15, 16 years here at RWC is when I joined this company, you know, watch faces were silver, they were mainly black. And there were first blue watch faces coming, but this was quite niche. It was very niche to go for colored face in a watch. And then we saw that blue trend really building massively over a period of 
six, seven, eight years before then Blue, I remember it would have been around 2014, 15, thereabouts, when Blue really became a breakthrough color. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we saw that in, in sports watches, it really was the most popular dial color for a wide range of our customers. And then a couple of years later, and this is why I also asked the trend question, Green came in. Again, some cautious attempts at first, very successful. And then green started building to the point that I think it was um, last year or two years ago, um, all of the press commented it was a digital edition of Watches and Wonders and all the press commented what, what happened here. Did all the CEOs of the watch industry get together and decide it's going to be green this year? And I mean, the simple matter of the fact I can give this much away is we didn't know, you know, no such lunch took place mm. where we agreed on a color, but you could see everybody more or less had the same color feel and color idea at the same time, which was being triggered by something. And then the interesting thing is that, is that green really took off a lot, a lot quicker in terms of large appeal than blue did. So what still took like years to build with blue happened in one and a half years with green to the point where green is now really the, the second most popular color in watches. Okay, interesting. And yeah. that, that is just something I observe where it's, mm -hmm. it's long range color trends, but the popularity increase when it's works seems to be quicker now than it used to and then as you said I um, talking about emotion and joy and uh, we've really seen that as a consequence I think of the world around us from last year really post-pandemic there was this really really big resurgence of the lust for life of joy of celebration of things being more joyous more colorful you saw this year at watches mond as one of the key trends as well things being inspired again by nature and flora and fauna and getting out and about and there's a, a more of a celebratory feel in colors do you see this in other industries as well or is that specific to to, to us what we can see because you said colors are picking up more easier or more quicker is the fact that if you think the car industry and think about back 10, 15 years ago in the car industry, there was white, white black, gray. navy, maybe red. But gray. yeah, and gray, yeah, and gray and silver, of course, for, don't forget silver. But now today you get baby blue, you get retro green, you get whatever. Not only in the, let's say, low budget cars like a Fiat Cinquecento, but even also in a Porsche or something mm. like that. So I think, and this is what we also discussed with your design team before, I think the world is more open also for things which are very, not, not very expensive and negative, say, but you have to invest some budget, a car, for example, and you not change it every two years because it's not possible. Yeah, sometimes, okay, but let's say the normal. Two years? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but you, you have it a longer term. And so, and I think at the end, this is something where people seem to be more open to also take colors on board for things they want to use longer. And mm. this is the same with a watch. So I think people are more open to this colorful world and go away a little bit from this traditional thinking, okay, I need to buy a silver one, a silver watch, because this is then last forever and I like it all the time so i think the time is really right to play with colors um and we as i said we saw it in the car industry we see we saw it in furniture can you imagine to have all these furniture colors which are coming from the retro styling now that was not possible our grandmothers and grandfathers have uh leather brown leather black sofa and that was it mm. and now you have a uh, baby pink uh, velvet sofa and retro styling i think there is a cyclical thing of people changing their mind about what their longer term investments should be color wise that also happens because again think back five to ten years ago in the car industry the majority of cars on the road were white mm -hmm. and that's almost completely disappeared like mm -hmm. if you now look at 
um, lorries full of new cars. Mm -hmm. A very small amount of these cars are white. Yeah, you know, they're correct. all grey now these days or you know, black at a push. Mm -hmm. But that, that white thing, you know, for some time, first it was like just something you saw in Dubai, white cars. <laughs> yeah, 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 because of the heat. And then it was gets very popular. And everyone right thought, ooh, why is this car white? Um, and I remember my very first car, Uh, Toyota 4x4 was white and mm -hmm. at that time 1997 that definitely wasn't the trend color in cars definitely <laughs> not um, but then you know a few years in every single car was white or most mm -hmm. cars were white on the road um, and now that's gone completely away again there's no real reason for that I mean white is still looks the same as it did 10 years ago yeah you know? probably work but there is this kind of cyclical wave effect happening as well yeah absolutely and this you see what we do um, when we do our trend forecasting you can also see and, and part of our trend forecasting is to see where colors are moving mm. that means we know that every season you will have a green a red and a blue and a yellow it's not that any color disappear totally or brown or beige but in which kind the red is moving is it yeah. more towards the cool or the orange one so and there is of course a tendency you can see year over year. And you can see it also over the year. And there's also a logical thing. You mentioned the green before. And we saw in the years when the first time all this healthy food came up, that people adapt more green. Mm. So there, there are some circles and some influences which have nothing to do with the industry you're sitting in, where people think about suddenly more green. And now with all the sustainability thing, People think about more earth colors because this is a logical consequence, thinking about sustainability, to having this color in your mind. So all these have, of course, waves and coming back also again. And also these retro trends, like I mentioned Fiat Cinquecento, these retro trends, they, they take really the colors from their times, but they modify it. Mm. And, and yeah, I think, that's where the pastel colors come Yeah, yeah. In, but yeah. It's, it, if you would compare it, and we have done a project with Pink Panther, you know yeah. this character? Yes. And Pink Panda was founded in the 60s. And in the 60s, we have a lot of different technology. We don't have flat screens. We don't have tablets, nothing like that. Pink Panda has a specific pink color. Mm -hmm. And they approached us some years ago and said, can you make the color more contemporary? And we just move it a little bit. So you will not recognize it if you switch on your television. But if you see it side by side, you say, oh, wow. The old pink panther looks really a little bit old and dirty. And the one so was that bluer, the old pink? And is no, it now it, redder? Or no, it's, it's bluer. It's a little it's bit bluer. bluer. Yeah, right. the other one was a little bit more, uh, also Pinky not so, pink. yeah, it was a little bit dirty more yeah. and a little bit more beige pink. And now it's a little bit more bluish pink. So, and, and these small shifts we do for a lot of companies, meanwhile, because especially traditional companies see the need to get their color logo a little bit more contemporary. And this yeah. is just a small thing. But this makes the difference between something looking traditional or something looking modern. Well, Pantone Pig Panther, who would have thought Yeah, that? we have big <laughs> so, characters. For the benefit of our listeners, explain a little bit how do you technically describe a color? Because, of course, we all know the little swatch books and you can sort of, you know, try and visually color match. Mm -hmm. Always depends on the light. The light is mostly horrible. And, you know, we, we've seen... Often that's why I like the interior design bit, because obviously in spaces you can calibrate the end effect of colors really effectively with light. But often that's also your worst enemy, because if you're trying to show a product and you have different environments, different daylight and artificial light, it's all over the shop. How do you precisely and technically capture a color value? How is it actually done? How do you define a color? So what we do is we have two ways. Uh, one is the, still the visual way, which you need on the one side, make clear that you have the good eye vision. So we have also color tests where you can test your colors. Do you know mm -hmm. how many people are colorblind partially? A lot, probably, including me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 8% of men. So this yeah. is, uh, and only 0.4% of women. But yeah. if you see the quality control people around all my big customers, mostly men. 
but men have more the uh, tendency to be at least partial colorblind. But so that's that's the first thing that you really make sure that the people who are looking visually to color can see colors. And then, of course, you have to standardize that color. That means you have to look really into materials. You cannot uh, compare uh, different materials to each other. That's exactly what we also discussed today, that you have really a challenge if you have, in a watch, you have so many different materials, mm. like you described yeah, before. Yeah. And I was really impressed how good it was already uh, now with especially Moave Desert, which is really complicated color. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, because Definitely. beige is in the gamut where we as a human being can see the most differences. So mm. for us, it would be easy to see if something is wrong. So it was already in a level that, wow, I know how complicated it is. And so, but therefore it is good all time or more easy, of course, for your for everybody if they have for the stripes, somebody who give you a sample in maybe it's polyester, nylon or cotton or whatever it is. You have the ceramic and you get a sample, a color standard in the ceramic material. You get it for print. So you have compare at the end your in little parts of the watch with the right standard. Mm. So that's one technical thing. And the other one is the big thing of digital data. So what I learned today is you, you're measuring colors. That's great. So this is already really a, a very good step forward because measuring color means you make a double check. You check it first digitally and don't rely on a subjectivity of, of a single person. And then you do last I would say the creative check by visual because a lot of things, and we talk about the leather stripes, leather is a natural material. You have to accept some tolerances. And at the end, somebody, yeah, yeah, we, I learned a lot about your leather band stripe. Dear clients, this was the lady from Pantone telling you, we have to accept tolerances in leather stripes. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, and this is really, no, at the end, everything which is natural, we work a lot for the food industry, for example, yeah. and you think every uh, yogurt, has his color and it's done by a marketing person who gives the color into the yogurt. It's not because the strawberry or whatever brings up the color. They're sitting a marketing person. Yeah, watch out if you uh, look tonight. And they sit somebody with a, with a color guide and try to match this is the right color. Chocolate, the oil which is going into your car, all is colored. Nothing is. Yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So, and, and I think at the end, this makes sense because we human beings have an expectation. The same like for your watches, it have to be accurate. Yeah, it's like antifreeze for your car has to be blue for some reason. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and and I think the or digital green. way is really the something where uh, where I think this is the future in controlling yeah. color and color standards, and uh, because this is objective and mm. this uh, you have this light influence which you mentioned before. Of course, every color evaluation have to be done in a light box. Not on the window, not on the streets, nowhere. You have to go into a light box and control it because then you can make sure that you meet the expectation of your end consumer who wear it outside, but they buy it in a shop with LED or a fluorescent light. And you have to check this first. And I think these are really the technical things to standardize color. Um, yeah, to, to make it double. And digitally, how is it done? Because I saw, for example, I had a few months ago, my, my, my painter came around and we tried to color match the outside color of our house. And he had a little attachment for his mobile phone. Ah, yeah, yeah. And he just put yeah. that on the wall and yeah. said, there we go. So what does it measure? Okay, so what, what, what your uh, painter has done, you can, in theory, we also have a small single card, looks like a, a um, credit card, which has a hole in the middle and has a lot of colorful bubbles. It's a calibration card. At the end, with this calibration card and the mobile phone and with a specific Pantone app, you can really, in theory, measure, let's say, the wall here mm. and get a Pantone code. 
Still, you should not forget, this is your mobile phone. It's not meant to be measuring colors. It's just... But it's measuring what? CMYK values? What no, is no, it they measure at the end. Uh, technically, to be honest, I don't know how they measure. I can explain it for the spectrophotometer, but how the mobile phone, they measure it with the camera. It's at the end, not a spectrophotometer. It's the camera took more or less a photo. And this is something which inside uh, the... the the mobile phone will then be transferred into the Panton um, system. So they have the Panton data sit in the system. Other than that, he could not do it. Mm. And your painter probably have the paint app from your paint manufacturer sitting in, so they can measure that. So, But to be honest, I would not trust 100% that the color comes up correctly. You should know the thing is really a mobile phone is still a mobile phone. We said it's good for designers to be mm. inspired. If you go to Milano and uh, instead of buying a big designer dress and cut it and send it around the world, take it just for inspiration. But if you want to control a color, you should go with a real spectrophotometer. These are machines who really measure colors in two different geometries. One is a kind of bowl. And what they do is they give a light to a color and they measure the reflection of this light. So color is nothing else than a reflection of light. And they measure this reflection. And based on these reflections, they make a curve. And this curve called reflectance curve also. This is, at the end, the DNA of every color. So, and your painter, coming back to your painter, <laughs> I would maybe let them not paint the full house immediately without checking it, to be honest. Because... You didn't. <laughs> no, 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 because it's... Uh, and the, the thing is really... Uh, yeah, we need to understand that the spectrophotometer has uh, has its own price. I don't want to talk about prices mm. here, but your mobile phone is your mobile phone. Mm. It's nice gadget to catch a color a little bit, but not in a highly professional way, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. But nevertheless, I was very, very Im impressed yeah. with what the team did this year at Watches and Wonders in terms of, you know, in, in, in the early days, it always struck me like you created physical events for a physical experience for people to come there. And your hope was that all the people that would come um, you know, they have a great time and they, and they tell their friends about it. And actually, when you go back, uh, which is also to do with the development of uh, Google Image Search and all the rest of it, but probably prior to 2006, seven, there's already very, very little um, image information available about IWC's um, exhibitions and stuff from those years. And then before that, it basically completely stops. And really only, I would say, it's been 20... 12, 13 onwards, when you really have a broad digital representation online of sort of what brands were up to. Yeah, this is really the future. And I think in all these digital things, special, special with color, there will be a, a big change. And I think within a few years, we maybe don't have any physical things anymore mm. because then we can rely 100... Yeah, this will be hard for design-orientated people, <laughs> I know. So watch companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this will be. But, you yeah, know, a watch company will be still something... I think a watch is something different. It's mm. something which, like you said, it's emotional. You don't buy yeah. it because you just want to read the time. No, you buy it because we've been disrupted back in the 80s in the quartz <laughs> crisis. So yeah, yeah, we've had that quite early on. So that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I think this, this will be forever. But I think in our business where we have still a lot of physical things yeah if, and you saw already i i still started my career where the designers have been painting with our pattern markers mm -hmm. on the desk copic markers yeah yeah and mm -hmm. uh now they do everything on the computer because they have 3d design uh, animated programs and they do everything there and nobody questioning that and this will be coming with color soon too. so we, we we work on that heavily and we know this is the future now, we've launched the first five colors together, which was obviously our jet black, our serotonium, our lake Tahoe, our IWC woodland, and the IWC Mojave Desert. Of course, you've seen stuff around the design center here in Christian, I'm sure. So ignore all of that for a minute. But if it were up to you, what's the next uh, colored ceramic we should launch? 
<laughs> in Carola's world, what's missing? <laughs> in my world, what was the next colorful ceramic? Mm. I would go, and I cannot, I cannot specify the color for you, but I would go for color which is totally unexpected. And I think for me, when I see all the projects I have done the last years, the most successful one was the unexpected ones, either from the messaging mm -hmm. or from the color itself. And and I think this is the only thing I can, and I said this today also to Christian, think about something which is unexpected. Because what you want to achieve as a brand, like in, in, in your uh, luxury industry, you need to have the attention of the people say, oh, wow, I have never expected that IWC is doing that. Of course, in, in, in a positive way. And that's how a trend is being set. Right yeah, then. yeah, yeah. And therefore, <laughs> I'm sure that, um, of course, with our help, with our expert help, not with my help, but there, there, there are ways to find this unexpected thing and with the right message behind it. Because, again, the emotion is so important under every, mm. uh, behind every color. So, therefore, I can Yeah, and I think you're, you're, you're really describing well one of the basic natures of all of the emotional luxury products is on the one hand, it's the physicality of the product and it's also the story. I think that's what yeah. you're saying with color and messaging. Yeah. It's, it's always what it means as well. Yes. It's never, and that's, again, when you going back to full circle to this question of University Blue, Of course, there is a meaning behind that. There's a story behind yeah. that. There's a legacy behind that that translates into a color, but always resonates with the color as well. And on that bombshell, Carola, thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank today. Thank you. It's an absolute joy talking to you. And I'm really excited about our collaboration and what lies ahead in all of the uh, color ventures and research we can do together. And of course, for our listeners to stay tuned and see what the next uh, RBC and Pantone colorway in colored ceramics is going to be. Thank you very much, Carola. Thank you very much for having me here. And uh, yeah, it was very nice to talk to you. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks a lot for listening. This was it, another episode of Partners in Time. We'll be back very, very shortly with another exciting chat. In the meantime, stay tuned, download the app, stay tuned to our social media channels. Stay, talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye now. Bye.